Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Native Podcast. For those new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you. And for those returning, thank you. And I appreciate you coming back to join us. It's been a little while, but I am excited to get back at it. I've got a really great interview with Devin Buffalo uh, today, who is the founder of Washka Athletics. Um, be sure to hit the link in the, in the description of the podcast and check that out. Um, but Devin is a proud member of the Samson Cree Nation in Treaty 6 territory, so our neighbors to the north of us, and uh, really up in, up in the First Nations uh, territory. And Devin's story is a really amazing one. Um, he uh, really is exemplifies resilience. I think we over over say that in the Native community at some times, but he really, really does. And he um, ended up playing at Dartmouth uh, College, playing hockey uh, as a goalie, and then he also made it to the pro level, and now is really um, focusing on uh, not only bettering himself. Uh, but also helping out his community. So um, please uh, enjoy this interview with, with Devin to talk about um, his career, his, his path, and his kind of uh, dreams for the future. Start with kind of having my guests, you know, explain um, just kind of where they grew up and how they grew up and some of their memories of growing up. And so, and I know you're in, uh, in you know, Canada, in, in Canada. So for those of us in the, in the U.S. who are a little bit ignorant, if you can help explain kind of where you're from and what it was like. Yeah, certainly. So thank you for having me, uh, Natalie. It's uh, awesome to be here. Uh, yeah, so just to start, my uh, Nehiwak name is Wapasani Whitestone. It was gifted to me in a ceremony and my uh, English name is Devin, Devin Buffalo. I'm from, I come from Muscogee. Muscogee's territory. Muscogee's means Bear Hills in Cree, and that is in Alberta. Yeah, Muscogee's is actually broken into, uh, if you go according to the Indian Act, into four four different bands. So you have Samson Cree Nation, Ermanskin Cree Nation, Louis Bull Cree Nation, and, and Montana Nation. So those make up this community of uh, around, I think, uh, around 10,000, maybe more now, but that's the reservation and I lived there till I was about six or seven. Grew up on a on a ranch there on the reservation. And then when my parents split up, I moved with my mother and one of my brothers, I have five brothers, one of my brothers to uh, Watasquin, which is the neighboring town of, I'm trying to, I don't even know the population. One second here, uh, let's see, quick search, 12,000, so. Oh, okay. It's uh, not, it's a pretty, you know, a small town, I think. And uh, we're about 45 minutes south of uh, Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta. So we're in between Edmonton and Calgary, which are the two biggest cities in Alberta, um, north of Montana, I think. So that's where we, yeah. Alberta is. So for anyone that doesn't know Canada very well in the provinces. So that's uh, uh, geographically, that's where I, you know, that's where I live. And come from and um yeah it was interesting growing up in Watasquin and you know going through the the dynamics there you know having uh you know you you're uh in a predominantly white society white town and but there's a big uh, population of indigenous people because the reser reservations right there so you get you know kind of an interesting dynamic where I had uh non-indigenous friends and indigenous friends growing up and Hearing, you know, I think going through that, you know, you definitely hear when you're li when you're younger, you don't know how to really handle it, and you know, you kind of just kind of go with it, and sometimes go with it where you don't speak up. And I don't know, I'm trying to think when I, you know, started being a, a voice and speaking up and having the tools, and I can't really put a, a number on the age I, or the age I was at, but you know, over time, I finally, you know grew you know was brave enough to kind of speak up and say like you know this is not you know this isn't right speaking about you know indigenous people like that you know there's a lot of um you know there's a few homeless people in the city it's a city it's a big town but it's considered a city now and 
so you see the homeless people and they're indigenous right and uh you know i had the non-indigenous friends speak you know call them names and put them down and not look at me like it would affect me right so over time you know growing up there it was uh like i i love i i really enjoyed my childhood you know i was in hockey the sports i played like hockey and golf both uh were family you know passed down family my brothers you know in the indigenous community in alberta hockey's huge and um my brothers are my oldest brother he was and he's 10 years older than me he i was gonna ask where did you fall in the brothers? yeah so so my oldest brother's 10 years older and it kind of just goes from there and then the um i'm the youngest the, the youngest by three years i think so in that kind of 10 to three years there's five others of us and five other brothers and um they you know we all played hockey at one point uh out of the six of us we were five or goalies so it's kind of the thing to be a goalie and um interesting enough the i love being player you know on the ice scoring goals and that was when you don't have a real goalie with pads you just had the player go into the net and i hated to be goalie i just i didn't want to be like my my family i wanted to be different and but <laughs> interesting enough i uh my where they the family you kind of go against the family or go with and so i like that yeah so then my uh, dad one time brought home some goalie gear for me that he purchased and he's like hey there you know every spring it's kind of for indigenous people in alberta it's huge for hockey tournaments ever you know right from your five years old right till you're well like still now that spring hot spring is when there's all these native hockey tournaments and there were, there's one big one, Native Provincials. There's one in Calgary called Treaty Hockey. So they fall on like uh, the next week. Or there's one, Calgary's first, and then the next weekend is, Na is Native Provincials in Edmonton. So they're kind of, you go to one, you know, you get to skip, you know, miss school Wednesday, Thursday, stay in a hotel with your family. It's like you, you create real, lots of great memories and, you know, a lot of Indigenous hockey players play. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's kind of your nation puts in a team and there's all these nations coming together. and there's a few, there's only a few, I think there's 45 nations in Alberta and, you know, majority, I think all of them, but maybe a few are entered into these, into the native provincials anyways. And so my dad brought me back these pads and I, you know, tried it and practiced. Someone already blamed me for letting in goals. You suck, you suck. And I, you know, I hated it. I was like, nope, I'm not going to be a goalie, like crying. I was upset that um, come the winter time back to normal hockey in, in town, the, uh, our goalie quit and we didn't have a goalie and it's not fun when you don't have a goalie. I'm like, Hey, I'll try it out. And then ever since then I've been a goalie. I just retired at 26 years old. So 20 years I was a goalie. So, you know, my whole life that's, you know, I, I took it as my identity really. And now I'm figuring out, well, I think I've got a good grasp, but figuring out what's, what's next after hockey. Yeah. So you mentioned those tournaments, those, those were all indigenous teams. Yeah. And then did you have other, were you mainly just competing against all indigenous teams or were you mixing in tournaments with non-indigenous teams? Or well, I played like you in the winter, yeah. you play in the, you know, I played in Wetaskiwin, which is the city. So you play in your winter leagues. And then when your winter league's done, then you have the tournaments kind of in the spring. And then you, you know, ice is out in the summer. And I skateboarded a lot. And interesting enough, I love skate, love skateboarding. And um, I actually, uh, I balance the two, right? Yeah. Winter, winter, I played hockey, and then the summer, I would just be at the skate park all day throughout the whole summer. And but I, you know, I couldn't really invest in my. I always knew I couldn't get it hurt, right? I, I made sure I wasn't doing crazy tricks, but I was really good actually. And I, you know, won a, a couple of competitions, and I there was a time when I wanted to get sponsored to go skateboard, and I thought there was a big decision at like thirteen whether to quit hockey and focus on skateboarding or, or quit skateboarding now that hockey was getting serious. And, and, uh, I decided to play hockey, but it was close. It was actually closer than people know that I actually almost chose skateboarding over hockey. No, that's amazing. And I, I, I kind of hate that too, when you're kind of forced to make that decision of, of one or the other. Um, and so, and you mentioned, was it, so was it just your mom and the, and your five brothers or did, um, no, they're older. So when I moved to town, it was one of my brothers and me and then my mom. So we were kind of like the three. And then 
my older brothers were older and my dad lived lived on the reservation. So I was back and forth for a while. And then my parents actually got back together for till I was like 15. So there was a time there that, uh, that my dad was living with us in, in, in town. And then, and then they broke up again. So, but yeah, it's never a kind of a clean story. I feel like with families, but the cool thing mm-hmm. is the family. I'm guessing you had a big extended family in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot, a lot of family members, and my other my other family's lightning. So I'm a Buffalo lightning. So. Oh, that's that's awesome. And so was so you talked about that kind of making that decision to go hockey. Was it was your goal to play in college or like what was in yeah. like pro? Was that like early on a goal for you? Yeah, so uh, my brother, my oldest brother, t- you know, 10 years older when he was 18. So I was eight years old watching him and he was, you know, the, the, the oldest. So he was a goalie first. And, you know, and funny enough story that he, when he was uh, 18, he signed up, like he didn't play top-notch AAA hockey, but he signed up for, you know, the Western Hockey League, which is like major junior, like a step below the NHL in Canada. And it's a different route, right? If you go there, you lose your, uh, you're considered a professional. So you can't, you lose your amateur status. And so when I, you know, my brother was playing this and it's like a, you know, they call it like, it's really highly looked at here in Alberta and in, in the native community, that uh, that's like what it was, right. To go play dub, as they call it, seeing, you know, they get the fancy buses, the fancy arenas, like it's, it's like pro and you're, you know, 18 years old or sometimes, the new, the up and comers, 15, he's exceptional status. So at 15, you're already getting treated like a pro, which is crazy. Cause I, you know, it wasn't until I was 24, 25 that I was starting to be treated like a pro. But so, yeah, that was kind of the pressure, right? To go WHL. And growing up as a goalie, I was really small and I probably never hit my growth spurt till I was 19 years old. So trying to make it. So my career, like on my team, I was never, you know, you have the three or four that are looked at, hey, this guy's going to go far. Like my teammates never anticipated that I would go far in hockey just because I was, you know, small and didn't make the top teams. And um, when it came to uh, um, like I, all the top teams, like it goes triple A, double A, A or whatever. And our top team was double A in Wetaskiwin, almost an A almost. And then so the, so the triple A teams, they were tough to make. And I had to go even closer to the city to try out for that team. And, I was cut multiple times. And finally, when I was six, almost 18, 17, 17, I made the triple A team. And I remember that moment because that was kind of the moment that really made my, like the hockey kind of open up because, well, I was trying to make this team and they were hosting a big national championship the next year. So they want, you know, experienced goalies for the next year. Right. So you'd usually take an older goalie and a younger goalie. So the younger goalie is now the older goalie next year. We, I would try it out for this team, and I knew there was already an older goalie, and I was an older goalie, so I had to bump out the younger goalie. And I remember the last 20 minutes I had in tryouts, and I was so nervous, and I like was going in nets, and I only had 20 minutes to play to really change this coach's mind. And I was allowed; there was only three goalies left, and I remember just saying, "I have to do something." And I don't know what I did. Probably in 20 minutes, you can't do very much. But I remember the gauntlet or whatever when you're trying out for teams and all the players I lined up in the dress, you know, lined up in the hallways and one person has to go in and then they're coming out upset. And, you know, everyone's like, did you make it? Did you make it? You know, that's probably the worst part of hockey. And oh. I would always go at the last, I would always let people in front of me. Great. And then at this time I knew I, like, if I didn't make this team, I was pretty well, like I would go back to my hometown play and, you know, play out hockey for the remainder of my last year. And so I remember just, it was like, it's a big lifetime, you know, swing, I guess. And, so I was letting people go. Finally, I was the last one to go in. And the other goalie that I was competing against, he was before me. And I knew if he went in and came out happy, I'd be like, ah, like there's no point to go in. But right. he came out and threw, it, threw his hat and swore. And I was like, oh, my God. Like I was like, oh, that's okay. But in the inside, I was like smiling, holding back a smile. I went in the dressing room and the coach said, like, there was something that, you know, I had you cut up until these 20 minutes. Something changed my mind. And and that was kind of the catapult, I guess, to to my hockey career because I went on to from the backup goalie to the starting goalie and started getting junior A interest. And the WHL, the league that you know is highly regarded in this area, I never really got interest, right? 
So I, I kind of moved my my vision or my my uh, goals to NCAA. And not a lot of people at the time were talking about NCAA. I know ten when I was a goalie, like ten years before me, there were a couple Indigenous goalies. One from my community, one from Manitoba. Alfie Michaud, he he coaches Maine University now. But those are kind of two mentors. And then uh, another one from my community, Steve Wagner, went to Denver University. But I never really had. You know, they were older and I didn't really know their experiences, right? And I never heard of any experiences. And that was kind of the, I was like, well, I, you know, I like school. Uh, you know, my dad always told me that the NHL scouts were going to look at my grades. And that was in grade three. So I'm not sure if they ended up looking at my grade three grades. But that was when I took it to heart that I, you know, I had to be a good student. And education would be important. And it, it did play out to be important. And I, uh, wanted to get the so i wanted to go play junior a i mean play junior a to get a ncaa scholarship and that was kind of the goal i set yeah so so like a junior college basically is that what you're saying like uh it's like a gap year so it's junior hockey so you're graduated and you just go play you can play up until you're 21 so i went and played 18 to 21 um and you just play like that's what your job is you just play hockey mm -hmm. and it's a gap year pretty well. So you don't take any classes or you don't do anything other than hockey. And, um, but I, you know, had to write the SAT. I had to, I think, uh, there was a few things I did, but other than that, I didn't take a test touch a pencil for three years and going to college, I, you know, Dartmouth, like, yeah, it was a big transition for sure from not touching a pencil for three years to being in an econ class at Dartmouth. So. Yeah. Hockey is such an interesting sport and like that in the U S like especially at the college level, it feels like there's kind of just like a few dominant kind of teams and schools. Were you trying to go for a certain school or how did you end up at Dartmouth? Yeah, so that's a, a story I talk about. Uh, so when I, I just spilled my tea all over. Uh, so when I, you know, back, I'll backtrack to when I was playing mid to play hockey, when I made that team as a backup goalie. And then by playoffs, I was a starting goalie and there was an incident where I, you know, it was playoffs and it was one of the, I think it was a North finals, like a championship. And I, uh, it was during warmups and I go to the red line and I see someone like another player stretching and like, you know, had his helmet off. Like he was trying to talk to me. So I thought I knew him. I thought he was a friend. So I go up and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And he said something and I didn't really hear him. And then, you know, I was like, what was that? And he said, you're just another, you know, F an Indian. He said, uh, he swore and he said, you're just another Indian pretty well and and I didn't know how to feel about that I was confused Matt so I actually I don't know what I felt at the moment you know I never and that's what I like to talk about too is dealing with racism in sports because at one point or another if you're indigenous or you know another um a culture or people you know that are not you know not white one day if you're in sports or one day one day in your life you're going to face racism it's just a matter of fact and I think it's a big uh it's like a lot of people try to ignore it or, you know, but it's going to hit you. And if you don't have the tools or if you've never experienced it, you don't know how to respond to it. So at this time I didn't know how to respond to it. And uh, there was another, like to make these triple A teams, there's only one or two indigenous, if that on the team. So I remember there was another indigenous friend of mine and I told him what happened and he, he got upset. And I was like, okay, maybe that's how I'm supposed to feel right. Upset and mad and pissed off. And, and he actually took a penalty and got kicked out of the game. And, um, you know, I, I like I didn't see the value in that, I guess, in that response because it didn't really help anything. So, you know, from that moment forward, A, there was two things. The first thing was um, the next time someone said, I'm just another Indian, it would be flipped and reversed as in you're just, you're, you know, you're indigenous. That's so cool. You must be so proud. You're You're strong and resilient. So I kind of made that had like the next time I, I heard that and for sure enough today that's what I hear not not the other way around and um the other thing was when racism happened you know you can't change other people's opinions or views but you know I'm a strong believer in not responding negatively and try to be the best I can be and to just show and another part of that is to kind of and the side story is I went to this like summer enrichment program at a university in grade 11 in, in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, at McMaster university. I stayed there for a month and, you know, all these kids were very smart and in city and, you know, all nationalities and all over the, from all over Canada. 
and I, I felt like I was, I was out of place because they all want to be doctors and whatnot. And it's called Shad Valley, but he, uh, there, you know, they had no idea I was indigenous and people find this right in there. The big cities, if you go to Toronto, no one knows you're indigenous or native, or if you go to New York city, no one knows. Like, it's like, no one cares, right. That you're, you're like, no, it doesn't, you can be anything in the world. But, um, my point is, is that there, you know, this whole, like kind of like the whole world put into this like 50 class sample, you know, they didn't know what I was. And when I told them I was indigenous, they were like, what? Like, I've never met an indigenous person and I've never, uh, you know, I see them in textbooks. I see, you know, see them in the news, whatnot, but I've never actually met one. So my, right from then I started thinking like, if I can, well, first of all, meet people that have never met a native and just show them who I am, not what they see on the news, not what they see on the streets or not, you know, but act because, you know, that's everyone, that's all cultures. But if you, you know, personal level, if they know who I am as a person, they won't, hopefully, they'll have a different perspective on indigenous people. And that was what I kind of set out to do. And so the th two things I want to do is obviously make the NHL because that was my goal. The second one was to go to a, like a top university just to kind of show people that, that I could do it and show myself, I guess too. And, and just on movies, based on movies, I, you know, in Canada, it's funny you talk about Ivy league schools that no one knows other than Harvard and Yale and Princeton. So those are the top three, but, um, but I looked at Harvard, you know, I watched a couple movies, Harvard was referenced and I was like, I'm going to go to Harvard. And I was at a school, a school guidance counselor trying to talk about the university as I was going to do. And I said, I wanted to go to Harvard and she probably never heard that before. I don't know, but she, she said, that's not, you know, that's too, you know, it's like, you know, I'm small town. We're not going to Harvard. You know, that's kind of what she let me down easy, but to me, it crushed me. And, um, you know, she pretty much told me to look at closer universities and, I just thought that was so, you know, um, backwards, right? We should be lifting our youth and students and supporting mm -hmm. them. To, to, even if they don't have those dreams, I, like I know when I talk now, I'm careful of, our people tell me to be careful of how you talk to students. And I'm like, you know, don't, they say don't get them too, you know, too going, I guess. And I'm like, A, you know, it's a, uh, why not? Like, let's, let's let them dream about anything, but give them the tools to if they don't succeed to that, that it's not a failure, right? Like, you know, that if they don't necessarily make that top goal, like at least they went for it, at least they tried, you know, failure is important in life, it's an important lesson, but also they might find out, like I found out that maybe that wasn't your your, your path, right? And um, if you miss that top dream, all these other opportunities are gonna arise just by going for it, right? And, and that's what happened, so anyways, that was my dream. That was my goal. And when I went to play junior hockey, I went in Flin Flon, Manitoba is a hockey town. I went to with uh, Reggie Leach played there, Bobby Clark. So it's a small town up in Northern Manitoba, awesome place. And that's where I played my junior hockey for three years. And uh, my first year I won rookie of the year, the whole league. So that kind of put my name on the map. Second year I started getting college interest. And there was a couple colleges that came out, you know, that showed interest. One was Colgate university was one of the first ones. Colorado College and then the University of North Dakota and and then one day you know I, after practice my coach invites me into his office and says oh, have you heard of Dartmouth College and I say no I haven't and he googled it in front of me and it says like Ivy League school so I I, I looked at the ISRB more aware of all the Ivies and eight of them I think yeah and then so you know this was a ticket right it was a ticket and I didn't have to hear any other kind of story, any other offers I was sold and, you know, I signed a commitment and, and that was a good story. So the story about that is that I asked when, uh, I asked my coach when this, when Dartmouth was going to come watch me because they were going to make the trip. And he said this weekend and that weekend we were playing, uh, LaRange Ice Wolves in their Northern Sask five hours from where we are, where we were and their rink is really small. They play a tough game. Every game I play there, I let in eight goals. Like I get pulled. Like it was horrible. If there was one place I didn't want to play in front of a, a coach, would be that place. And I remember the bus ride and just visualizing myself doing good, not even playing excellent, just having being able to shake the coach's hand and be like, I, you know, I, I tried my best. And we lost four one, and they throw fish at you know they throw fish on the ice every time a goal. So like so that's what was in my mind. After eight goals, there was still thirty fish on the ice and. 
it would take a long time to clean it all the fish and it was horrible but four four one four times thrown fish at me so it wasn't too bad and after the game you know we lost four one four goals on a goalie isn't very good you know in a game you know for your goal your stats and um but after I was able to, you know, I, I knew that was a success because I did let, you know, I wasn't blown out. I finished the game. I was on pulled. And I was able to choke the coach, shake the coach's hand. And later in our road trip, finally get the call. You know, I talked to the coach. He says, we want you to come to Dartmouth. And then he's like, take a couple of weeks to decide and call me back. And if you don't, you know, you know, we have to move on if you're not going to, you know, if you take too long or whatever kind of thing. And and he said, all right, take two weeks. I hung up, called my parents, told them, you know, I'm going to Dar- you know, I'm going to Abbey League school. And then I hung up and I called back my coach. And then he's like, well, he didn't even know who it was. I'm like, we just talked, you know, like, he's like, I gave you two weeks. And I was like, well, all I need is that, like 10 minutes. So I decided yeah. to go all in and go to Dartmouth. And the next day, actually, my coach is like, Colorado College in North Dakota both got back to me. You know, you want to know what they said? And I was like, no, I don't want to know. Like, I'm going to Dartmouth. I'm committed. So that's where I went. Yeah. And then you kind of mentioned it earlier. I love that story. Um, uh, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but it was kind of a culture shock, I'm guessing. And I've been to Dartmouth and it is quite different from my experience and just the the entire area. But they do have a you know Native American house and a Native American program. Did you get to get involved with that at any at any I'm guessing with with hockey, it was probably hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what story were you uh, referencing? Do you remember? Oh, just, just all of this that you were saying about how uh, the coaches and the. Oh, yeah. Like- well, I have, a, I have a funny story about my first day at Dartmouth. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I was very scared to go to Dartmouth because, you know, I questioned myself three years without touching a pencil. And I didn't even know what university was. Like, do I bring a do I bring a pencil case? Like, do I bring pencils? Do I yeah. do I need a computer? Do I need a notebook? Do I get a backpack? Do I, you know, I, was, I thought I overthink everything, but that's I what I was that. thinking of. I was packing my suitcase and thinking of all these. And then my mom was helping me out. And I actually broke down because I just didn't want to do it, you know, scared. and. Yeah. I broke down. It was 3 a.m. I'm just upset and crying. And I was like, no, I don't, like, I don't think I could do this. You know, got, let those emotions out. But then after, you know, got on that plane and, you know, I had to leave my house at 3 a.m. And uh, get to the airport. My flight was at 5, went to Minnesota. That was my first time ever flying by myself. So, you know, I had all these, like, I didn't know what to do. And I remember getting to Boston and all, I had to catch a bus, right, Dartmouth coach. And and I, I didn't even know what to, like how to do it. Like I was like, all right, there's a sign, go to Dartmouth, yeah. and then get on the bus. I get on the bus, and I'm like, okay, how do I pay? Like, what do, what do I yeah. do? And and we finally get to the station, and I'm like, he's like, all right, if you don't have a ticket, go buy one in the in the train station. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm. He's like, we we're only waiting for two minutes. I'm like, what have you leave? Like, I was just freaked out. And I'm like, what if you have all my bags and whatever? So I ran in there, found, I couldn't find this place to buy tickets. Finally, I found it, bought my tickets, got on the bus. Three hours later, sun's coming down. And just, I remember that moment, like driving in uh, New Hampshire and just the sun setting, all the colors, all the trees. I'm like, where am I going? You know, this is beautiful. And arrive on campus and it's dark. It's 10 p.m. already. I get off. And at that time, I didn't have any cell service either. Um, or I turned it off, right, because it's expensive. I didn't have a plan yet. Right. Get on get on campus, and everyone, you know, has their friends meeting them, has everyone, and they all take off in different directions. And uh, and uh, and I'm like, what do I do? You know, everything's closed. So, you know, I call my mom. I'm like, you know, what do I do? And I don't, like, she's like, well, isn't there a place to pick up your keys to your dorm? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and all I have is, like, the map, and I'm like, figuring out what to do and I'm freaking out finally I'm like I don't know what to do no everyone was sleeping or like coaches I don't know but it was pretty late and I called uh, the police and I'm like I don't know what to do and so they connected me to security on campus and um so a guy in a security guard picks me up and all my stuff my hockey bag my suitcases and takes me to my dorm I show him the map I'm like I'm supposed to go here so he takes me Luckily, it's not like a city campus, right? Or else I would have been even more lost. But Dartmouth is pretty easy to navigate. And so I get to my dorm and he's like, where's your key? And I'm like, it was closed. I don't even have a key. And so he's like, okay, I can let you in. So he lets me into my dorm. And then 
And I'm like, okay. And he's like, do you have any blankets? And I'm like, no, like, am I, uh, like I have, I'm supposed to pick up my blankets. I ordered on, you know, those, those, uh, those websites where they get it, you pick your whole room or whatever. So I ordered that, but it was closed. It was in my mailbox. So I didn't have that. And then he's like, okay. And I just have a mattress and like nothing. And he's like, I'll be your back. So he comes back with a towel, a sheet and a, a little airplane pillow, almost a, a bar of soap. I'm like, this is like prison. <laughs> like, a, So it was very humble first night in Dar- at Dartmouth. And so I got through that night. And after that, I, you know, got, went and picked up everything. And, um, you know, met another hockey player, a friend and, and went through the whole orientation. And I was just, you know, it's interesting. Like that moment is like, I try to think of that moment, but it's almost like you can never rethink it. Cause it's just a new experience that, you know, over the years, it's never that fresh. And like, you're just don't know what to like, you're just learning everything. It's a new life. And it was you're so in the moment that it's hard. Yeah. And trying to learn back how I felt. It was like exciting. Yeah. It was like, it's yeah, you never can never really relate to how that felt and it was awesome and um yeah the native american house you know they have a big native faculty and um i took a lot of native american classes i didn't know actually that uh i was one class away from having a native american major or minor so i majored in political (laughs) science and you know i could have had this minor but i i i i didn't know i took enough to to qualify i thought i had to take more but um yeah i I, the nad program is great and uh you know i think like at the the beginning, I was I uh, went to you know meetings and whatnot. But over over the hockey season and whatnot, I was you know going through everything. It was I I, I don't know if I was fully, which I kind of regret. But at the same time, I I didn't fully immerse myself into the the native program that they do have there. There's a lot of support there, and I think uh, I think uh, it was it was great to have that. I remember a couple memories like the powwow they have. And mm-hmm. and that was special because that was during exam week or something, and I was my first year, and I was really I was struggling my first year, and I went to this powwow just to because I knew the power of the drum, and I knew maybe I could get some healing, I guess, or some inspiration for my my finals, and just to grind it out, and and it helped. I just sat there by myself, so and uh, you know just took it all in, and you know had some some uh, powwow food, and it was it was good. So it's good to you know have that shared experience of being fully isolated but yeah i don't i did not take full advantage of the program that they have there i know it's like out of all the ivies they have the most native uh students there 100 130 or something a year out yeah. of a thousand class well and when you're you know when you're in a sport at a division one school it's pretty demanding mm-hmm. um, on- on your time plus with classes and things like that so how did you decide on political science i'm curious did you yeah so uh, i didn't know what to take and i remember trying to figure out class schedule when i first got there because you know I'm, I'm used to you know alberta and all my friends going to alberta universities and it's like so you know you have to pick six classes you have to do it all before like almost like high school sign up and and at dartmouth it's like you go there and you don't have any of your classes picked and then and then, uh, you know, you go through orienta- orienta- orientation and then the class is open and you have to be online and choose your classes and there's a time period. So that was a little different than what I was used to. So, you know, picking classes, you know, I, I was asking all my friends were right into econ because that's kind of the thing to take to, you know, everyone wants to work on Wall Street. So that's kind of right. what they're trying to do. And I was like, well, I want to work on Wall Street and I want to, you know, so I was like, I'll take econ. But then I want to figure out, like, do I take math or econ first? And then I was talking to upperclassmen, and they were like, you have to take both of them the year, but sometimes you take, well, it's recommended you take math, and then if you can do math, you take econ one. And then if you can't, or but say you don't even like econ, you might as well check it out first. So I signed up for econ one first, and econ's a weed-out class, and it's, like, very competitive and very hard. (laughs) And, like, I was like a fish out of water. Like, I had no idea what was going on. And and I was and it's funny because in high school, I was such a sciences and math guy. Like I needed a definite answer, and then I would study, study, and get hundred like on tests, right? Like that's kind of how I like school. I didn't like the social studies or the English where you have to write an essay and then you don't know what you're gonna get. It's based right. on the teacher. It's like you know you don't have a definite. When you have another, you know, the sciences and math, you can go through your exam after and be like, yep, that's right, that's right, and then you kind of have an idea. So when I went to Dartmouth, though, I was expecting that to happen. I think on my first 
econ test, I got like 23% or something, like something crazy. But everyone got like 60%. So it was actually curved to like the C minus. So I was like, C minus, I don't even know what that means. But so, right. but I struggled for the rest. That was the first exam and I struggled that whole, finally I dropped it or withdrew from that class. And, and I remember the, funny enough, I thought I was a good enough student or smart enough. And it was awesome to see, you know, hockey players, jocks, they're always considered to be, you know, not good in school or not smart. And Dartmouth, it just flipped that whole script for me. Cause I remember in, in, in high school, right. To be on the honor roll, you get 80%. And I was always on the honor roll and, and it was tough to get on the honor roll. I know a lot, most of my friends were not 80 students, right. They're in the 60s, 70s. So I remember my Dartmouth, uh, first test and I got like 70% and I was like, Hey, that's 10% off 80. I'm almost on the honor roll, you know, like yeah, right. pumped about it, pumped <laughs> about it, but everyone else got like hundred. So I, you know, I got like a bad grade really well. Uh, so I'm just learning all this. And so I go, to the, I, I go to my, yeah, I go to my hockey practice and everyone has the exams and that's what kind of drew like drove everything at Dartmouth, like the team and the expectations from just the, the hockey players, right? You don't want to be the, the slow one. You don't want to be the one holding back the team. So I remember I, everyone's, you know, that's what, you know, you get to the dressing room and that's what everyone's talking about. Hey, how'd that exam go? You know, how'd that paper go? What'd you get? And that's like something that always happened. Like everyone wanted to know what you got, what you got on an exam. And I guess right away I was going to speak, but then someone else was like, you know, I got 95, you know, 95, 95, A, A plus, A plus. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And I was like, so they're buff. What did you get? I'm like, uh, around there too. <laughs> and I lied, but I really drove my, you know, my standard for myself. Like imagine if it was normal to get 70, right. Then I would have just went through high or college as a C minus student, but you know, I wasn't an A student, but I worked hard and I was able to get, you know, get back, get better grades over time. And, um, yeah, so that really rose the kind of the bar for myself and uh push myself because all the hockey players were very competitive yeah so so yeah so i was uh talking about or you're asking how i got into political science so uh the, the there was a lot of people on my or uh, hockey players on my team that you know if they weren't econ majors the other one was government and political science and and i i i actually was very passionate my dad's uh you know uh he was a leader served as a leader in our nation and he's still a leader but not as a you know, elected a leader, but he, uh, so I'm very, you know, I, I get that from my dad. So when I started taking classes and a lot of native American classes translate to government. So I was like, Hey, that works. Cause I could just take what I'm passionate about and take some native American classes. And, and then I, you know, I did well on the exams and did well on the paper. So, I, you know, it fit well. And I think I didn't declare until I think you declared sophomore year. And so that's what I declared. I tried a couple of my sophomore year and declared at the end of my sophomore year as a government major. Yeah, that's that. That makes sense. And I was wondering if there was the native influence on that because um, it's it's a really important kind of intersection, I think, with thinking about politics and history and uh, the kind of the Native American stuff. So that's that's our indigenous people. So so did you um, did you enjoy did you enjoy the college like career like co college playing oh, yeah. career and did that. Did, and then what was what was the goal like what was it like like kind of post graduation yeah uh, fun like i can briefly tell a couple stories of my hockey career so yeah. so my freshman year you know i i went into it as like highly you know highly i guess highly touted kind of like you know uh they expected a lot for me and i expected a lot for myself like i want to be the starting goalie and there's three goalies when you're playing NCAA and only one can play mm -hmm. and a lot of times there's not enough games. You don't have 80 games a year. You have 20 some. So you're going to start your best goal. And right. Not, not give like the younger guys a chance. Some do, but really it's not kind of in the best interest of the team. But so anyways, my first year I go in there and the starting goalie got, you know, got injured right away. Like in, in uh right before my first game and everyone was like, Buff, you know, all my friends were like, you're going to start, you're going to be the, like, this is your time. And I was like, well, they're going to give the other goalie a shot right? There's another older goalie, but he didn't play very much, but then he played one game and, you know, we played Harvard and he, he did well and he just played every single game for the rest of that year pretty well and 
clean the slate and uh and uh so i didn't play at all my first game or first year and i was in the stands every game like i probably it was all it was pretty well a red shirt but i didn't know what a red shirt was and i didn't claim red shirt because i thought i would have a chance to play i don't know so i didn't claim my red shirt but um but then uh same thing and now you know i'm not playing hockey that's what i am usually good at my my grades weren't good my first year and that's what it usually that makes me happy so the two things in my life weren't going well and there was times when i wanted to just go mm -hmm. home and my parents really said to stick it out and you'll get recharged in the summer and i went home recharged my second year you know i'm gonna this is my year this is my year and, and i didn't play on i played like four games that year but my first game is an interesting story because it was around November. We we're going on a road trip to Michigan University, which is a you know pretty you know Big Ten, big road trip. And um, Michigan Wolverines were ranked eighth in the country. They had Kyle Connor, who's an NHL draft pick, high one. And we go there, and I'm in the stands, you know, eating a hot dog, and we're losing seven nothing. And the next day, both goalies slept in, missed breakfast, and I can hear the coaches talking about it, like, oh, like uh, so mad, like you're not allowed to miss anything on the schedule, right? So they were pissed off and I, uh, they're, you know, I could hear the head coach talk like only if we had a third goalie and like, I don't think he knew he, they brought me and I'm like, here I am. I'm a third goalie, but and, and then the other coach was like, well, we have Buffalo and I'm sitting there. I'm like, wait, they're going to start here. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm here for the vacation. It's like, there's a football game this afternoon. Like at the yeah. big house, <laughs> I wanted to go, but <laughs> so I can hear, uh, I can hear them talking and sure enough, they're going to start me and I'm freaking out. And I, I haven't played a game. If you think about it, a real game for my first year, full year, and then another half year. So it's been pretty well, almost two years since I've actually played a like a 60 minute game, just practices. So I'm freaking out, but that's like that, those challenges, that's what gets me kind of um, playing my best. And like, I create that kind of outcome or result. Like I'm going to upset these guys, you know, I'm going to prove myself and, and I remember going in, having my pregame nap, but I didn't have a nap. I called my parents, told them, you know, tune in. This is my debut, and, and I'm going to take them down, and they're, you know, they're way better than us. They just beat us 7 nothing. This is my chance to really make a name for myself. And, you know, I my dad always taught me about visualization at a young age, and that's something that's kind of new. Well, it's not new, but, you know, it's starting to come up in new sports now. And it wasn't before. Like, I was the only one that ever probably envisioned uh, and made visualization kind of important in my life. And, um, so I visualized that whole game. And when I was, at, you know, put some music on, I visualized, you know, the color of their jerseys. I visualized NHL scouts in the crowd. I visualized where I'd make the saves, where they're going to shoot from, if they're going to score a goal, if I can envision it now, I can save it later. And so I got, that's how I played every game out in my head. And, um, I go to the game and they have a crazy student section. You know, they do a bunch of chants that I've never heard, like ugly goalie, like they're just giving, you know, ripping me apart. And then oh, they do the newspaper thing where you get announced reading newspapers and then throw it on the ice. So those are all things I've never seen in my life. And my legs are shaking like that expression. My legs have never shook before, but I couldn't even like I'm, I was wanted to puke. This whole thing was like going over my body and, and uh, where I felt sick. But as soon as I made that first save, you know, it was just another game to me and everything came in everything i visualized i settled in and you know they're wearing those jerseys you know the crowd i envisioned you know the nhl scouts i could see them taking notes and so everything i envisioned it was pretty cool and we actually tied them one one so to go from six nothing to one one it was and i played lights out and after everyone was like wow you know it was awesome and then but then the next game you know i got my first win and then the next game I got pulled and I never played again for the rest of the year. And then my third year, I went from four games, I think played to getting all the games. Like they literally put everything, all the pressure on me to be the starting goalie. And we had two younger goalies behind me who are rookies now or freshmen. And I'm pissed off. Right. I'm like, the coach should have, you know, prepared me better. Like, but I think they knew like who I was that I could handle it. And, I remember the first game we were playing Michigan again at home, homecoming, and it was packed. And this is probably one of the best moments of my life where um, after the first period, I heard a snap in my ankle. And I, I'm careful when I tell this story because I don't want to normalize playing with an injury but or, or 
or yeah. advocate for that. But this was like very important because when I went down my ankle, I heard a snap, you know, a tendon snap pretty well. and I couldn't get off the ice and I went to the doctor's office and he's asking me all these questions and take it off and looking at it. And he asked me, did you hear a snap? And my whole kind of career <laughs> flashed between my eyes. And, and I, I knew if I, you know, tore something that I wouldn't be playing that game. And then I would be out for months and the whole, you know, the other two goalies would be the goalies. You know, I would, I wouldn't be a veteran anymore if I had no games played. If they played me. Anyways, I just I lied and I said nope, I didn't hear a snap. And he said, okay, I'll just tape it. You probably just twisted it. So I taped it, went out there, and I couldn't put any pressure. And I look at the highlights of that game, and I'm like, how the heck did I do that? And I remember, yeah, and every, I remember every time I went down, I'd be swearing, like so in pain yelling and the ref's like are you right and i'm like yeah just keep going and i played through that game and i actually won and we took him and it was like the most like the loudest that building has ever been and people say they went to that game and it hasn't been that loud since and that was already uh, a few years ago so um it was a special moment because it kind of put everyone in the school knew kind of that i was a goalie now and and that was a special feeling and but you know that adrenaline wears off and the next day we get one day off and then the next day I'm supposed to be, you know, an athlete going to workouts, going to practices. And it was most pain for probably for four months that whole year I played with an injury and it was tough. And then my fourth year, kind of the same thing. I pulled my groin, but this time I didn't play through it. I took the time off, even though I know, I knew that meant it was jeopardizing my, you know, that was my, like I wanted to sign an NHL contract after that year. and It was my last chance and I pulled my groin. But instead, I rehabbed it, and I was out for two two months. We went 0-8. We lost all our first eight games of that season. We went to 59th out of 60. But there was a there was one game that I circled on the schedule, and I was against Harvard University or no 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 Denver University. And they were ranked one like one and two. I think they dropped two to two when we played them, but we were ranked 59th. So it was literally dead last against first, and they just won a national championship. And I was like, that's the game I want to play. So I remember rehabbing and focusing on that game sure enough play that game and and there's every so often they highlight you know tsn in canada is like espn right and tsn in canada it right, just has right. hockey like during the nhl season it's just hockey at the time now i think the rights went to sports now but anyways at the time tsn was just known to have nhl games so there was no room to you know on a saturday night to have a college game but every so often they have like one one a year or two and they highlighted that game so i remember a i could just fake it you know not tell anyone and because i knew there was a chance we could get blown out <laughs> the best team in the country we're the worst right now and i knew if i didn't tell anyone any family and friends no one would watch it or maybe they were they would i don't know they wouldn't know about it right if i was on tv and but i made the decision to tell everyone you know tell family and friends make a facebook status because i wanted that pressure i wanted uh something to drive me I, love I wanted that. something to drive me in. Yeah, I love that. And uh, anyways, you know, shared lots of times, a lot of likes. And by the time, you know, I'm getting dressed, you know, the day of. And that was the first time, you know, that's a dream. First and last time I played on TSN too. So that was, it was a moment and everyone was messaging me, you know, Snapchat was just, you know, I had all these snaps, you know, in my stall and everyone's watching me, you know, all my friends are at the bars in the city and, you know, I'm all over the, you know, restaurant, TVs, bars, and, you know, in family homes that I, you know, everyone's watching me. And I just, that was a crazy feeling. And I played really good and really good. And we lost one nothing. <laughs> like, so the only way I could do better is not to let a goal in. So I let in one. We lost one nothing. Next game, we played him again. And we upset him. But that time it wasn't on TV. But that was a huge upset. And from then on, we kind of went on a roll. Yeah. I ended up getting nominated for Hobie Baker Award, which is like the Heisman for football, but in hockey. And, you know, in the fan vote, I was actually had the fourth most votes out of everyone, but I didn't, you know, I didn't win. And, and, uh, but that was okay. Cause I, you know, I was nominated for the hockey humanitarian award to like top 11, I think, or something in, in, in all ice hockey, but male and female. So that was that kind of do? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that one is a big award for uh, community service. And then from then, you know, became a professional the day after we lost to Harvard, I was getting calls to leave school 
kind of finish a, the pro year. And I'm like, nope, you know, I made the decision. Now I want to graduate first. But the pro, the pro lifestyle is completely different. And I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't succeed in it. So, but uh, if I can touch on that a bit, if that's your next question, but yeah, 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 yeah it was kind of, yeah, so time. I, uh, yeah. you know, you know, I had to get an agent. I was, it was uncharted territory for myself. And, and at the time I didn't even know, you know, growing up, I never knew what elite training was and I never did elite training, never really worked out to get to Dartmouth without the training. I don't know how I did it. And, you know, they took, they took, uh, yeah. you know, care of me, I guess. Like I didn't pass the, the fitness tests when I first came and, and they were able to kind of get me to par. Well, not, I don't even think I was to par by the end of it, but they tried their best and, and I tried my best and, you know, but I really learned what it meant, what it took to kind of be an elite athlete and everything that goes in it, the responsibility and, the, you know, stretching and the rolling out and everything. And, you know, I was 21 learning that, like, imagine if I could, if I learned that earlier, but anyways, so when I became pro, you know, I just, yeah, I wasn't, I was not the professional, I didn't look like a professional athlete, you know, and I, I didn't know how really I learned to the, you know, college level. Right. And then part of the reason is when I went to, you know, all my pro buddies, Hey, it costs $3,000 to train, but you can come train every day. And that's what I probably needed, but I never had them. I didn't have the money to pay $3,000. So, so I never did it. But anyways, my first year, it was, it was tough. Like I, all the, you know, it goes NHL, American Hockey League, AHL, and then East Coast Hockey League, ECHL. So they're kind of all in a staggered line, but you know, there's two goalies in the NHL, two goalies in the AHL for each organization, then two goalies in the East Coast. So really six goalies is not a lot of positions. And like, these guys are NHL signed, NHL contracts. And I wasn't on one. And uh, you know, that was one of my kind of, I wish I had an NHL contract <laughs> after I had the year I thought that I could have signed one i think but it really would have made a difference because once you're in those leagues those are the guys that kind of get the opportunities those are the guys that get the the minutes and games played and you know i started off in greenville south carolina or north carolina and yeah. south, south, carolina. south carolina yeah and i, I played there that. and i had i think <laughs> one or two games and i never played you know and then i got cut or you know put on waivers it's called so I went to a different team and I went to New York, Adirondack Thunder, and I did really well in Adirondack. But, you know, I was like, this is it. This is my moment. Because usually in my career, I make it as an underdog. And then by the end, if I have the, if people believe in me and I, you know, I get going, then I become the best. Like, that's what I needed. And in the pro, you don't get enough. You don't get those chances. It's either you do good now or not, or you're not playing. And, and I did good. And that wasn't even enough because then two, guys that are on NHL deals come down or AHL deals. And then I get traded again. And I'm like, what is, like I couldn't stick anywhere. And then went to Pennsylvania and didn't play. Finally ended up in like, there was a lot of me like, Oh, I'm done. But I wanted to just grind it out and uh, went to Wichita, Kansas. So that was cool to kind of play for Edmonton Oilers. They're with the Edmonton Oilers and that's my favorite team. So the one memory I have is seeing my name on Edmonton Oilers jersey, which was kind of a dream coach. So the, all these things about dreams, seeing it in different ways, they kind of come in yeah. different. You know, it wasn't in the for the Edmonton Oilers, but my name was still on Edmonton Oilers jersey, and I can take pride in that, and I do. And um, finished off the year, and then the next year I didn't. You know, there was other opportunities I wanted to do, and there was other reasons, and you know, I decided to move on, I guess. And that was a tough decision, but I don't hold myself there. I think a lot of people get stuck in you know, they're 60 years old saying they don't let it go. And I like to pride myself on my mental yeah. mentality and that, you know, I look at my life like a book and, you know, then the next chapter was up and, um, um, uh, how much time do we have? Sorry. No, as much as you Oh yeah. Have, yeah. Honestly, we're kind of wrapping like, up anyways. Cause I want to, yeah, I want to, I wanted you to talk oh, about right. kind of what yeah, you're yeah. So, I want to make sure okay. we have time to promote that, but I love, there's so many before before you go. There's so many things that just resonate so much. 
you know, talking about having access to sports, right? And then just the, like you said, having, you know, you didn't have the money to train like other people did. And like, these are just common things over and over again that we really can really focus on, I think, with like our Indigenous youth to help them to kind of um, be set up to succeed. And I love the ideal too, of like just having a chip, having to have that kind of underdog mentality and that chip on your shoulder. And um, and then the ideal too, of being a goalie that is like, it's got you know kind of like mm-hmm. a quarterback or uh you know those positions a kicker where it's like you're and i feel like you don't get a lot of love unless you're like it, you get attention when you mess up more than you do when you don't you know like it's it's a t- really hard position to play and then the ideal too of you know i don't think we talk enough enough about how hard it is to kind of transition from being an athlete to not being an athlete you know to kind of like you said, moving on to that next chapter. So I really appreciate you kind of talking, touching on that. But yeah, so I, yeah, tell us about, uh, I, I'm going to butcher it. I, oh, Wani- yeah. Wanishka? Uh, so Wanska. Yeah. So Wanska, W, Wanska. it's spelled W A N S K, but, or that's how it's pronounced, spelt Waniska. I'm not sure for the, the <laughs> I'm still not sure where the kind of the changes, but want maybe the way it's pronounced, but Wanska is kind of how it's, and it's, it means wake up and rise. So like, where you know, mm. kind of uh, indigenous families, you know, in the morning, Saturday morning, try to sleep in and you have your cocoa or your grandma or your mom yelling for breakfast, right? Wake up, wake up. But it's Wanska, Wanska. And, and I took that because I, um, that's what I wanted was to kind of have that mentality of waking up, not just physically, mentally you know it's a it's an awareness it's a it's a it's a state of mind kind of uh yeah it's an awareness and um but it's also waking up you know i never you know i struggled in that training right to wake up you know you see the best athletes are waking up with this you know before the sun and getting their training in and so i wanted to kind of have find a word for that and i there was a few words that i just didn't have the authenticity and Finally, I was like, well, what's Cree? And, well, you know, I've heard that so many times. And I was like, that's perfect. So picked Wanska and then athletics. And, um, yeah, it's a company I started. And it's slowly building. But now, you know, we're doing – I'm doing a lot kind of to promote it. And um, pretty well what it is is, you know, I always wanted to kind of give back in a way that, you know, try to promote education and sports and how you can kind of – if you love sports, you know, you don't just have to be a, just an athlete, you know, you can you like school too. And, you know, be a student athlete and learn that, what that's about. Cause when I was a kid, my role models, you know, they're really good hockey players, but I never, you know, they didn't really succeed at school. And I thought that was kind of missing. And, you know, that's what Wattsk athletics is about is uh, creating this wave of athletes. You know, you're starting to see it, starting to see a wave of a, uh, just for example, before there was not many college players. Now, like when I went, you know, there's like, a, you know, there was me going to Dartmouth, uh, Zach Whitecloud, who's in the NHL now, went to uh, Bemidji. Brady Keeper went to Maine. He's in the NHL. Um, Bridget Laquette, Team Canada, went to uh, Duluth. Um, there's another one, Daniels from from Mr. Wassa, Saskatchewan. She she's went to Harvard, and she is a coach at Harvard now. So, you know, there's – this kind of shift of, of indigenous athletes. Like I like to call it, and I call it the rise of indigenous athletes because wake up and rise. And it's this new awareness that if you're going to, you know, be successful, you have to have these other qualities all around, like uh, character, hard work, you know, and a sense of humble, but giving back humbleness and giving back. And that's what I take pride in. Like any time in my career, you know, or even when I was playing college or and pro, there's, you know, anyone could reach out to me. I was never too good to kind of, to respond. And people still message me asking for advice. And sometimes people want to get paid for advice. And I don't think, because then I, what's the point of getting paid for advice, right? If it's just a quick text or a quick call, because I know I don't have, you know, the funds to pay people to get coached. And, um, but why should I be, you know, why shouldn't I have that knowledge and, um, so that's important to me to keep in heart. So all my stuff, like I'm trying to keep it reasonable and accessible. And so part of it is, you know, apparel. And I just launched a pre-sale last yesterday, finally to get clothing. And then 
um, also, and it's a sense, it's more than clothing, right? When you wear it, that's my idea is that you represent um, what Wanska mentality is. And then uh, camps, you know, hockey camps. And my high, you know, I call it athletics because it's not just going to be hockey. I want to, you know, have all sports and I want it to be huge and, you know, be the, I don't know, the next Nike. I don't know, but like a big kind of thing and an idea in a wave. And um, the next thing we do is, where uh, I do is, presentations or right? doing school presentations. I'm doing a school presentation. I just did one this morning, you know, Northern Alberta community. Yeah. I think there was like under 20, it was a small school, but you know, we talk, I talk about a lot of things depending on the age, but it's tough to talk to the younger audience. Cause I feel like my story is like very directed towards, you know, junior high and in high school, but and college and, and beyond. But, you know, I try to adapt cause you know, Hopefully, I can make an imprint in the young kids' minds too. That hey, I met this this guy who's indigenous, and look what he did. So that's I never say no to young kids either. But we're doing a presentation. I think I've done like six in the past couple months, and from Quebec to Ontario to Alberta, and that's virtual right now. Maybe in the future, it's uh, hopefully in schools and in communities. But hockey camps, doing a goalie camp, whenever restrictions allow. So I teamed up with a couple other role model goalies that are indigenous. And that is a position that is hard to keep goalies that are indigenous in the position. Um, you know, they deal with racism. It's, it's a tougher position, right? Cause you do deal with a lot more pressures, a lot, a lot more blame and at a young age. You can't really deal with that stuff. So, you know, people just quit, you know, it's easier to be a player. You don't have to deal with it. It's easier to even not play hockey, right. you know? So the whole goal of my goalie tour is to kind of create that foundation, show show these young goalies that there are goalies that like us out there and we can provide the tools because there are tools that you will need to be able to navigate. It's a tough, tough route, but it's not impossible. And, you know, another thing was that I, part of Wanska, I uh, didn't know what I was doing last year and I actually decided to, I saw my mom have a, in 1993 she graduated from university of alberta and and that was my age so this jacket she has you know an old vintage jacket i have it somewhere but it, it's uh it's on my social media but you know i found this in the you know in the junker in the in the storage and i thought it was so cool i was like you know what i'm gonna i want to go back to school and i use that kind of as an image and I, I work in images i imagine everything first and then uh you know make future memories my dad calls them pre-memories and so, so, uh, so I use, I use that method and I saw myself, you know, going to law school, wearing this jacket, going back to university of Alberta and being proud of that. And I, you know, spent the year applying and I got in like a couple weeks ago. So I got accepted to law school. That's what I'm going to do in the fall. So that's kind of the next, <laughs> thank Congrats. you. So that's the next step for my personal journey. But I, I also like to add it to, you know, I have, I have an image of like a ladder in each, you know, obviously there's an ultimate dream. But every ladder, there's kind of things that like I keep raising that bar for myself, and and that's part of the whole thing. What Wands goes about, you know, raising personal bars and helping our people out, and um, so hopefully, yeah, so hopefully that adds to kind of the the brand, I guess, of what you know. I keep proving myself and keep raising that bar for myself. So hopefully, the youth can you know learn from that and and experience that. And there's another thing <laughs> quickly that I actually came up, I just, uh, there was something missing about my presentations, right? I knew it was like I was pushing to uh, like elsewhere, I guess. And and that got me thinking of what success meant to my life, in my life, what it meant to me. And in my mind or in my, you know, and it's I probably dealt with a bunch of trauma, you know, trauma, traumatic events throughout my life. But over time it was like, I need this, you know, there's this hunger to prove myself and, Anyways, success meant like moving away from home. Like that's what success meant, right? Living in New York, like going, that's all I had was movies. So, you know, living in New York and, you know, making money. So when someone talks about me in my current home or in my hometown, they're like, Hey, you remember, you remember Devin? That's kind of how I thought of it. And when I went to Dartmouth, that's how I thought of it. And, you know, all my friends after graduation, they go on to Boston, New York and San Francisco to get jobs and, you know, obviously, like, I, you know, that's something that might have been in my future. But I knew after four years living in the States and living on the East Coast, and it was just different. And, you know, 
I wanted to return home, not just because, you know, not to give up in a sense, but, you know, I'm tied to this land. You know, this is where my culture is. This is where the people are, my family and friends that I want to really be with. And that's where I am now. And that's where I feel content. And, you know, that's part of the reason I wanted to apply here, not to go somewhere else. Like there was a sense, I want to go to Harvard Law or Yale Law, but I decided to apply here. So that was kind of the whole thing that I talk in schools now is that success. Yeah. I, I, what I, I, what I promote is not going to, you know, find success elsewhere because success is, you know, broad term and it's, you know, relative to each person, but what it means, but anyways, to go, you know, find success somewhere else, that's kind of what my presentations were kind of saying. And I didn't want that. So I met, I was missing part of it. My, what I'm promoting is, you know, exploring the world, I guess, seeing different things, experiencing different things, not being afraid of leaving the reservation or a town or a city and, you know, make being uncomfortable in situations and, and really putting yourself out there. But, you know, it's okay to come back after that, you know, you know, if, if say you're happy somewhere else, that's awesome. But if you come back, you know, I, I struggled with that in my failure because I'm home now after going to Dartmouth, I struggled with that a lot, but you know, right now I'm currently, you know, by my mind, I guess I'm able to structure it where, you know, I'm doing what I like to do and I'm content being with my people here at home. Yeah. And that, that is such a great story and such a great, so many great points because it is, it almost is like, well, you kind of have to face this decision of like, well, you stay and you're kind of like a failure or, or you leave and then you're successful. And it's like, no, that's, it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple. And there's still so much that can be done. And like, just like you said, defining success, what that means for you can be really different from what it means for somebody else, you know? And um, we ought to kind of, I think, stop worrying so much about what success other people say success is and like determining our own success. So um, such beautiful stuff. I'm super excited that we've connected. I'm going to, I'll post a link to the, to the merch. And so everyone can get some, some merchandise and um, just continue to support your mission. Cause I love, I love what you're doing. And I, I agree too. I want to create space for native indigenous peoples kind of in that world of sport, but we don't necessarily like, it's great if you're an athlete, but it's great too, if you just kind of want to work in that world and use the power of sport. Cause I think it has, has a huge, huge uh, influence. And um, so we'll definitely, we'll definitely stay in touch. One final question. Do you oh, still skate? Uh, no, but I always had this, like I always said when, you know, when I was older, I would like build a, you know, a skate park in my backyard. Cause that's all I always wanted that when I was a kid skate park in the backyard so that's still the goal and maybe i'll get back into it because it did make me happy and i still look back at it i'm like those are some of the best memories of my life and um yeah just back on i just released my website everyone was like do you have a website do you have a website so you know i released it yesterday yeah. so that's wanskamentality.com so take a look at that maybe post a link and that's where you can find the pre-sale stuff too but it also explains everything i'm doing and tabs on everything so Great. yeah uh yeah so it can, be, it can be a skate park at Moscow. Yeah, skate, skate, park, skate park, yeah, for sure. It'll be, yeah. it'll be everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's the goal. Awesome. All right, Devin, I appreciate you so much for your time. It was so great to catch yeah. up. And, yeah, let's definitely stay connected. And um, we'll have to meet in person soon, mm -hmm. too, once we can get all get Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite, and it was a great yeah, time sharing my story. All yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably, um, maybe not today, but tomorrow I'll probably try to get this posted and I'll send you all the links so you can share. Awesome. Thank you. you. All right. Oh, yeah. Of course. Thanks, Evan. Enjoy the rest yeah. of your day. Okay. Appreciate it.